Welcome in listeners to another exciting episode of Whisper in the Wings. We have a fantastic guest today. Joining us is Frank Nelson, who is the playwright of an exciting new play called Reinventing Rick. Frank, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. I am so excited to have you because as we were talking previously before we started, um, this play is anyone who's had those, I hate to say overbearing parents. Um, <laughs> this is for them. I mean, this is this is such a hoot of a show. The few clips that I've already seen, and I know there's a, a, a full stage reading of it available. It was so funny. I related on so many levels. Um I, I literally was just laughing out loud, waking my wife up last night. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about your show? To sum up Reinventing Rick, um, on a macro level, it's about uh, overcoming all the obstacles that we have in our lives. And Rick, the main character on a more micro level, uh, Rick's husband dies in a car accident. And Rick is having a really hard time adjusting to his new reality. And his best friend is trying to get him back in in enjoying life and it's just not working so in desperation rick's best friend brad calls rick's parents and rick's parents are a little um out there we'll say and they decide to move in with rick and they concoct this plan called reinventing rick and rick's mom and dad their names are, are minnie and george they decide that they need to be Rick's wingman and they're going to get him dating again. And unmitigated disaster is probably the best way to describe uh, how Minnie and George wind up trying to set him up on dates. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. This is what was, I think the tagline was like when your parent is your wingman and that, that sealed it for me. I was like, oh, Lord, this can't, yeah. no good can come from this in the best way possible. Yep. And when you're your wingman, it's chaos. Yeah, and it is. And it's in the best way possible. You can't look away and you can't help but laugh because there's some place of truth from it. And everyone is just like, I have that guilty experience of something similar like that happening. And you just have to laugh. I think we've all had it, whether it's our parents or our well-intentioned best friends or whomever. It, it's always been that person who thinks, I'm going to set you up with the per perfect person. And they have no clue. <laughs> they really don't. There's there's actually a line in the, in the play about, um, I, I think it's Rick's dad saying, well, he's gay, you're gay, what's the problem? And there's so much more to it than, than that. So it's just... It, it, it resonates with so many people on so many different levels. And that was what I loved about the stage reading was I know how I hear it in my head when I'm writing it, when I'm proofing it, how someone else hears it from their own perspective um, really opened up a, a whole world for me of, oh, I didn't quite catch that nuance or I didn't realize it would mean that to someone else. So it was just such a wonderful experience. So how did you come up, up with the idea of this show? It, it, I get kind of emotional when I think about it. So my, my partner, um, 
passed away a number of years ago. And I was having a very hard time dealing with the emotion of it and had started seeing a therapist. And I've never been one who's very good at talking about my feelings. And he said, well, why don't you write down what you're feeling? Well, I couldn't even do that. It was just too hard to, to address it. And so I invented this guy named Rick. And Rick recently lost his partner. And Rick was Superman. He could deal with anything. And so I figured, you know, all of the things that I can't deal with in my life right now, I'm going to dump on Rick's shoulders and he can deal with it. And so that's actually how the character of Rick was born, was out of a an exercise with my therapist on learning to deal with my grief. And a couple of my friends read little snippets of this and they're like, you know, this is really funny. You need to start writing a story about this guy. And I'm like, okay. I always loved to write as a kid. And when I was in school, my, uh, my journalism professor and, and creative writing teachers all said, you need to go into writing. And I'm like, yeah, I can't make a, a living at this, you know, yada, yada, yada. So here I am some years later after high school and I'm writing this story and a friend, I'm living in California at the time and a friend of mine has a friend in television. He's like, you should write this as a sitcom. And I thought, I have no idea how to write a script. I don't know how a sitcom is structured. I mean, I watched them, but totally different experience. And so I thought, okay, I have nothing better to do. I'm gonna teach myself how to write a script. And so I started writing this as a sitcom. People started reading it and they said, you know, it's good, but uh, TV is really hard to break into. Why don't you write it as a play? And they thought, I've never written a play. I have no idea how to write a script for a play. I have nothing better to do. I'll teach myself how to write a play. And so that's what I did. And a couple of years later, here we are. That's, that is a journey. That is a it is. Story. But isn't life a journey? Absolutely. So, you know, we, we, we go where the road takes us sometimes. And this is where my road took me. Going along with that, though, what was it like developing the show, picking it, you know, going from that all the way to where it is now, putting all the pieces in place. It was, um, I think, equal parts elation and frustration because I was not a quote unquote writer by trade. And so I'm learning how to write a new in a new process. That was difficult. Outlining the story was very cathartic because I was able to get these people that were in my head on paper. I knew where I wanted them to go. It was the process of getting them from point A to point B. So it was really a learning process. Once I started understanding how a script works, it was like water out of a faucet. I could sit and just write page after page after page. Some of the pages were fantastic. Some of the pages were a nightmare, but all in all, it was really a learning process of what makes a good script, what makes a good story, even down to what makes a good line. And it's not, um, at least my form of comedy is not joke after joke after joke. There's a little bit of, 
thought process in between the punchlines. And learning how to write funny in a thought-provoking way is not something that I was used to doing. So again, it's, it's a total learning experience, but it is the most rewarding thing I've probably ever done in my entire life. Wow. And I like that you write the the comedy that way because it gives us a chance to breathe, let that humor settle in a little bit so that we're not just plowing through the jokes one after the other. They really get a chance to settle in there. And and I did notice that, <clears throat> especially in the moment about the DNA test, that clip about yes. the DNA test, where we were building up and, and it was fast paced and I was waiting for the punchline to land. And then when it landed, there was a beat. And then they kept going. I was like, I'm so glad there was that breath because that is a clever joke. That is a great line to just sit and bask in that, you know. I've always thought some of the best shows, whether they be plays, musicals, movies, television, um, I'd lean towards comedy. I lean towards funny, but I like things that are thought provoking or not always in your face funny. You've got to take a second and think about and then oh now i get it yeah and to me that's that's the lasting humor in so many good shows is is when you got to stop and think about it yes and i also appreciate when a show especially a comedy they don't just bowl over the jokes and it's like wait no no, no come back you just told something funny let's take a minute to to savor that mm-hmm. we already know we're in a comedy situation like we don't have to just blaze over and get you know this is the point of the comedy we can stop for a minute make the funny face and then keep moving we yes know what we're exactly here so now you mentioned you know the process about some of the pages were good some of the pages weren't i'm just curious how many revisions has your show gone through at this point I stopped counting after about eight or nine <laughs> uh, because i'll read something and and i'll think it just doesn't quite read. Um, you know, it, the, the pacing is off, the phrasing is off. Um, and then and then I'll start to think, okay, so would this character really say something this way? Because as a writer, you're writing in a number of different voices. And so I know how I would say something. The way I would say something is not necessarily the same way another character would say it. So I I have to be conscious of that. Um, The best rewrite that I did though was after the staged reading because I had never heard the play out loud in its entirety. So after the staged reading, I realized I was never really thrilled with my ending. So after seeing it read, hearing it read, I realized, okay, I really do need to change this because it bogs down in certain spots and I'm losing the pace of the show. So I actually wound up cutting about 15 pages out of the script towards the end. Uh, Lengthwise, I don't think it really cuts that much from the show, but it condenses the dialogue and it reframes the how the show ends. And it's so much more impactful, I think. And it's a lot funnier than the original ending. And I'm so, I'm so grateful to have had the stage reading because without that, I don't think I would have had the ending that I have right now. I think it's important for the characters to be believable, if not relatable. And when you hear 
uh, one voice from five different people, you're not getting the nuances of who these people are. And the very first um, rehearsal that we had for the stage reading, the director, uh, God bless her, let me come to the very first rehearsal. And she said, just sit there, don't talk. Because <laughs> I have a tendency to want to, you know, fix things. I was, we're going, she's like, just listen. And every actor there said, we didn't have to have you explain who these characters are. From reading the lines, we understood who these people were. And that was really validating as an author that people could understand who these people were supposed to be. And they didn't need an explanation um, from me or from the director. So it, it was just a, a wonderful experience. I mean, I'm just, I, I, I think back to that day of that very first rehearsal and it just makes me so happy because it was just such an incredible experience. Oh, that's amazing. Let me ask you, what is the message or the thought that you're hoping audiences will take away from your show? I think number one is laughter can fix so many problems. There is always a silver lining. There's always a positive. There's always something good that will come out of negative. Uh, and, and I've always tried to laugh about everything. I mean, I make jokes about, you know, my partner dying all the time. And people are like, how can you joke about that? Because it makes me remember him and smile. And if you can smile about the bad things in your life, how much better off are we as a society? So I think that's, that's my number one thing is, yes, there's bad stuff in the world. But if we can, if we can learn to smile and laugh and move past it and look for the good things, how much better off are we as people, as individuals, as society? So I hope that's the number one takeaway from my show is laugh and, and enjoy life, even in the bad times. I mean, we've all been through COVID. You know, we've, we've seen very, very dark times and we're resilient. Here we are, you know, you're going to shows, you know, I'm, I'm, producing shows or producing a show, um, you know, we're, we're out in the world again. We've come past these dark times and we're able to laugh about it again. So that's the most important thing, I think. Who do you hope have access to the show? Voters for Tony Awards. <laughs> <laughs> um, really everybody, um, because I think... I think it appeals or it would appeal to just about everybody on some level. Um, it's, it's written from the perspective of a gay man in his forties. Um, and that's, that's not something that's very common. I mean, most of the, the, and, and it's not a gay play, so I don't want it to be conceived as a gay play, but from, from the perspective of a gay man in his forties, there's not a lot out there. From, from that perspective. Uh, but I think anybody who has dealt with parents trying to continue to parent past the age of 18, I think would relate to it. Um, you know, and, and anybody who loves their family, loves their friends, and regardless of how they may drive you crazy, um, 
I think there's there's something in this for everybody. So, you know, it I, I don't really see it as being uh, for a specific audience. Funny is funny, uh, doesn't matter. Gay, straight, black, white, guy, girl, whoever. Funny is funny. And if you need a laugh in your life, here you go. Now, I want to switch the conversation a bit, sure. uh, focus more a bit on you, let our listeners okay. know you a bit more. And I want to kick things off by asking you what shows, playwrights, or composers in the past have inspired you or do you love? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I tend towards, as far as theater goes, I like the big musical productions. And I think in part it's because the music and the lyrics have an emotional impact on me. And so when I think back about the show, it's not necessarily the show itself, but it's, it's the feeling that I had when I was watching it. Miss Saigon, and, th- and this is going you know, way back in the day, Miss Saigon is actually the first show that I saw on Broadway. And, and it was so emotionally, impactful so i i've always had a very special place in my heart for that show les mis i saw on broadway and i actually knew one of the actors who was in the show and so it was it was wonderful to see a show where i actually knew someone who was performing and it was and it was an amazing experience but i've always kind of been a backstage kind of person i'm fascinated by everything that's going on behind the scenes. And so the biggest treat that I've ever had in my life was Christopher after the show had me and and I went with a friend of mine, had us meet him at the stage door and took us backstage at Les Mis. And so I actually got to stand on the stage. I got to see the workings of everything going on behind the scenes and all the backdrops, go down to, to the dressing rooms and see the costumes. And it's just that emotional experience for me that makes a show impactful, that that makes it memorable for me. And so I guess those are the ones that I always remember as being my favorites is is those shows that had an impact. Shows that I saw with with my partner are are always ones that I think of very fondly, Uh, you know, Sunset Boulevard, Phantom. It's all those huge big production numbers. With that being said, I've recently started getting back into the small community theaters who are doing, um, actually the last one that I saw was was Blight Spirit, an old coward play. Um, absolutely hysterical and timeless. And it's not a huge fancy production, but it's just so funny that I just, I love that type of play. Those are the ones that really kind of inspire me are ones that, that are thought-provoking, um, that are uh, timeless, that aren't caught up in a fad or a moment, but are really as relevant 
today as they will be 100 years from now or were relevant 100 years ago? Those are, and that's some amazing choices right there. All fantastic shows that they do. They leave a lasting impact. And I can vouch for all of them. <laughs> um, awesome. Going along with that, have you seen any great theater lately that you could recommend to our listeners? You had mentioned Blood Spirit, which is a really fun show. Uh, any other shows you might be able to recommend? I actually haven't seen much. I haven't been to New York in, well, since before the pandemic. So I haven't seen anything other than community theater. Yeah, unfortunately, no, I just haven't had a chance to get back there and really see good either Broadway or off-Broadway shows. Anything out there your way in Arizona? There's Blythe Spirit was the, the last show that I saw. I There's uh, been a couple of productions of Heather's The Musical. Oh, I think you have to be an 80s kid to get some of the references. But if, if you grew up in a certain time period and you saw the movie, the, the musical is absolutely hysterical. I don't know if it's necessarily meant to be hysterical. I mean, it's a black comedy really. And, and I've, I've seen it through two different local groups here uh, that produced it and, and was amazing. I'm sure there's going to be a couple more community theaters that will do it. It seems to be a pretty popular show. Yeah. So if you're in Phoenix or if someone's doing it in your neck of the woods, go see it. It's absolutely worth Even if you're not from the 80s, totally worth seeing. You know, Blythe Spirit, Misery, there's um, there's a, two community theaters here in Phoenix that are doing an, an adaptation of Misery, the Stephen King novel. Very good. I think you have to be a King fan, though, to really get into the show. So if you're a King fan, absolutely go see it. Um, other than that, no, not really. Um, you know, it's still, things are still a little difficult to get into some shows with, with some of the pandemic protocols still going on. So yeah. hopefully soon it'll yeah. be, you know, one or two a month. Yes. And I love that you saw Heather's because I Heather's cracks me up because, you know, I, I'll put it out there. We we 80s. Yes, we get it. Yes. And so that's where I'm coming from with Heather's. But the following I see on social media are these young kids now that are in their teens. And I'm like, you love it for the music and kind of the sex appeal of it, it seems like. But I'm like, have you seen the movie? Like, do you understand what this was for us back then? Like, so I I love that two different age groups of audiences can go get two different experiences, but I ultimately love this show. What a fantastic show to be able to, to yeah. have that experience. So an intergenerational show, I'll say. Yes, I, I think it is. And I think uh, Back to the Future will be the same type of show is, yes, it's an, a quote unquote 80s show, but I think it transcends, it's it's that whole thing of whether it's a hundred years from now, it's still relevant. And I think the themes from that show will still be relevant. And I think it, it still plays. Yeah. So I, I would say if there's one show that I, I can't wait to see, I want to get to New York to see that show. Or, you know, if I have to wait for it to tour, I'll have to wait for it to tour. <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited about that show. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? I think it's the behind the scenes process more than anything. 
I love the technical aspect of how a show comes together and all the different parts that are needed. When I was younger, back in high school, I did a little bit of acting, long story on how I got into that. I love doing it. I love playing the straight man, no pun intended, but I was more fascinated with how everything else behind the scenes worked. So, you know, the lighting, um, how a director decides to, to, to block a show, the direction that they come from when they're interpreting a show, that whole process, building scenery, building props. The, the producer of Blythe Spirit at, at a local community theater reached out to me to, to help build a, a gramophone prop because they couldn't find one in a thrift shop. And so I learned how to build a gramophone. Things like that are just fascinating to me. So to all the people who work behind the scenes on any play, any show, you know, the audience applauds the actors. I'm applauding all of you because it just, it's unreal the things that, that they can accomplish. And I'm just fascinated by it. Absolutely. Huge shout out to the people behind the scenes. And the biggest thing is you never notice their work or that they're there unless something goes wrong. I want to ask you my favorite question and I'm excited to hear your answer. Uh, and okay. just I know this is going to be good. What is your favorite theater memory? Oh my gosh. I would have to say my all time favorite would be, and I, and I know it's, 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 it's a little emotional going to see Sunset Boulevard with my partner. We had just been dating a few months and we're sitting there watching the show and it's just fantastic. And he reaches over and, and holds my hand Aww. and it has nothing to do with the show, but 20 some odd years later, I can still feel how his hand felt holding mine for the first time. And it was at that show. And I don't know if that moment would have happened if it hadn't been for that specific place and time and the emotions that seeing that show created. <sighs> so I would have to say that. That is... So incredible. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I'm writing I mean, Harlequin note romances instead of comedies. <laughs> we I've had many a meet cute on this on this segment, but that is just like the genuine, like it's just such a sweet and tender, simple moment, but it is. It's such a wonderful memory to just have. And oh, thank you for sharing I, that. I think it sums up who I am. I've always loved the 50s movie meet cute moments. That's just, that's always been my wheelhouse. And so th things that evoke that kind of emotional response are what pops into my head. Now I will say with that having been said, my favorite all time theater, theater moment was seeing the helicopter in Miss Saigon and how they created that theatrical display it still boggles my mind because it, it it it's like a real helicopter landing on a stage and you're thinking how on earth do they do this right and it comes back to that magic of 
being transported into a world and everything around you envelops you in that world. So there you go. You got two for the price of one. I love it. <laughs> now, do you have any other productions or projects coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? I have, well, Reinventing Rick, I would love to see a full production of this show. So anyone listening, if you're looking for a show to produce, because I can write producing, not quite yet. So you're looking for a show to produce. Look me up on Instagram. Next in the pipeline, I'm working on a play called The Kenilworth. And it's about a couple and their friends and their wacky neighbor in an apartment building. There's the mother-in-law from hell. There's the alcoholic neighbor. And we'll leave it at that. It's still, it's on page 26. We'll leave it at that. And hilarity <laughs> will ensue. It will. <laughs> And finally, if our listeners want to get more information about Reinventing Rick or about you or they want to reach out to you, how can they do that? The easiest way is the real Frank Nelson at Instagram or go to my YouTube channel, Frank E. Nelson on YouTube. You can watch the stage breeding. Uh, you can see clips on Instagram. You can get my contact information on Instagram if you'd like to contact me directly. I am open to any and all people that want to email, reach out to me, follow me on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. Amazing. Well, I am optimistic and hopeful that a full production is about to be done to this show. This show- from your mouth to the playwright's ear or the play God's ears. It sounds too good not to do. I mean, it sounds too hilarious. It was so much fun writing it. It was wonderful seeing the staged reading of it. Uh, I, I had a blast. I think everyone at the staged reading gave me such wonderful feedback about the show. They thought it was hysterical. And, and I just want to say the, the way that I got the staged reading was I had entered a playwriting competition and won and found out when I won that the first time in the history of this contest, they ever had a unanimous winner and it was my show. Wow. Yeah, and this was the very first play that I've written. So that was just fantastic. That's amazing. Thank so that's you. even a bigger sell then. Like this is clearly work. The many people have spoken. Yeah. Well, Frank, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and talk. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with me. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. This has been a blast finally getting to meet you in person or, you know, over a Zoom call after following your Instagram. You know, this has just been great. It's been such a treat to talk to you, to get to talk about the show. Um, I can't thank you enough for hosting this, this program. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. My guest today has been playwright Frank Nelson, whose new work, Reinventing Rick, the hilarious show, Reinventing Rick, uh, is currently being read at community theaters, but is available for production. So jump on that. Uh, you can get more information about it, see clips of it, um, or contact Frank on Instagram at the Real Frank Nelson, or check out the full reading of the show on his YouTube channel by searching Frank E. Nelson. 
We're going to have all these details posted in the episode description as well as on our social media. So do not miss out on this show. Make sure you check it out, watch it, follow. And anybody out there who has the ability, let's get this show up and running because it is just, it's a side splitter. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Quantum Jazz and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.